Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Hi, welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about curious endings of people and things. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And today I'm going to talk about where does the waste at Dollywood go? I'm not going to talk about pandemics because I don't want to. So today we're going to talk about the waste at Dollywood. And first I'm going to say Dolly Parton is a national treasure. Yes. <laughs> so Dolly Parton, after she made it big, she wanted to contribute back to the community that she's from, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So she bought a share in Silver Dollar City Theme Park, which is actually in the Pigeon Forge area. In Sevier County. Sevier or Sevier? I don't know. For some reason, I want to say Sevier, so. I mean, if it's an American pronunciation <clears throat> of any other language, it could go in a lot of directions. Yeah. We'll say Sevier because it's the southeast and it's not uh, Louisiana. So the Silver Dollar City theme park was, the theme park was named before it became Dollywood. So Dolly Parton bought her share in 1986 and as part, and part of the deal, it was renamed Dollywood. So that year attendance doubled, of course, cause Dolly Parton's awesome. And people were like, Hey, cool, Dollywood, let's go. So since then, since 1986, the park has expanded to 150 acres and also has a sister park called Splash Country, a resort called Dream More, and a stampede dinner theater. So it, it sounds like an amazing place. I've always intended to go, and as soon as the glo global pandemic is over, I'd like to. So the county it's in is Sevier County, Tennessee, which is home to both Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. As I said, this is where Dolly is from, um, and it has a year-round population of about 94,000 people. However, every year between mid-March and Christmas time, which is when Dollywood is open, they see about 3 million visitors. Ooh. That's a lot of people, yeah. Besides Dollywood, there's a few little tourist attractions and cool shops and stuff that you can go to. So when you visit the park, you'll notice maybe if you're a noticer of things, I would probably notice this, that there are apparently no recycling bins. And this is not because they're terrible people. <laughs> the reason is that Sevier County is one of the only counties in the world, it's one of 12, which has a composting waste facility that attempts to keep all of its waste out of a class one landfill. So if you remember my landfill episode, and if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and listen to it if you're curious. A class one landfill is one of the more environmentally strenuous landfills. It, they have to cap it, and they have to monitor it for years after, after they, after they cap it, and has to have certain amounts of liners, and have, has to watch the leachate going into the system. So they attempt to keep their waste out of a class one landfill. So it works like this. Uh, waste is all single stream in Sevier County. That means uh, they ask that you separate construction debris and cardboard, and I'll talk about cardboard later. So people don't sort their recyclables from their trash. They just throw it all into one trash bin. And when it 
gets picked up. The waste goes from the trash cans to truck to the Sevier Solid Waste Facility. And from there, it's dumped onto what is called a tipping floor. And then it's sifted into long rotating drum digesters. So there is 185 feet of pipe that the digester is. And the digester ro rotates all of the waste and adds biosolids from sewage in so that everything is being churned together for about three days. After the digester pipes, it is sifted again to remove large items that can be recycled, like large pieces of plastic, etc. The stuff that cannot be recycled is sent to a class three or class four landfill, which are less uh, intensive uh, on the environment as the class one landfill. But they try to keep as much out of landfill as they can. So the remaining stuff, after this stuff has been sifted and rotated and sifted again, the remaining stuff looks a lot like compost at this point, but it's not done. It's oh. laid out into rows and rotated two times a day for five weeks. Wow. So, yeah. After that, it is sifted again to get the small pieces of things like glass out. And from there, it is done. It, the whole process took about 40 days. And uh, if you're a Sevier County resident, you can actually go and pick up free compost for your garden. Yeah, wow. It's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. This is the most Dolly Parton way of dealing with waste I can think of. So I know. So I mentioned cardboard early, and I want to talk about why they ask that you separate your cardboard. Because cardboard is really great for compost, right? But... So they ask you that you separate it um, because the waste facility actually sells it on the back end. I guess cardboard for recycling is a moneymaker for the Sevier County facility. So it actually makes money. The cardboard actually makes money. So it keeps the cost really low for the residents. So this is actually, it, it makes it supports itself. It keeps the garbage process really low for the residents around it. And it diverts like 70% of the waste that people produce from, from landfills. So it's really cool. Also at the time of the time of the article that I read, which is probably uh, two years ago, they had just signed a contract for using the plastics that they take out to create fuel. So, which I reference in my Crayola marker part in that episode. So you can go back and listen to that and learn how we create plastic, take plastics to create fuel. So that's really cool. There, and people come from all over the world from different um, bio waste facilities to figure out how to be like the Sevier solid waste because this is like one of 12 in the world that does this and it's just in Sevier County, Tennessee, in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. That's amazing. Isn't it cool? Like I said, that's the most Dolly Parton way of dealing with waste you can think <laughs> of because it's so responsible and practical and helpful. It's amazing. And you can get and you can get free compost afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Like she's helping the residents of her community in two different ways. Well, two different material ways you can get free compost and then the cardboard life cycle changes the whole sort of life cycle of that waste. And then 
because there isn't a massive landfill, you don't have the associated environmental hazards. You don't have trash trashing up the place. Mm-hmm. And you still get tourism. Exactly. It's amazing. So I, I read one statistic. The facility processes about 300 tons of garbage a day. And that's a lot of garbage. And just it's amazing to me that 70% of that is diverted from landfills. And they not only save money by not having a class one landfill, because those are expensive. Like I talked about in that episode, they're expensive. You have to do all kinds of capping and everything, you know, just to keep just to monitor it is expensive. So it's it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's no recycle bins at Dollywood. And it's because Dollywood Dolly Parton is a national treasure and Sevier County is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we need to add Dollywood to our road trip. Oh, I'm totally going. And maybe that's the first stop because that sounds like an awful lot of fun. I think it's only four hours away from us, honestly. It's only four hours from here? Yeah. It's really I thought it was like a, a nine-hour drive. No, I don't think so. Oh, man, when this pandemic is over, let's go. <laughs> no, we, get, we need to have fun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> I had no idea it was that close. Yeah, it's it's either four or five. I looked it up not too long ago because my friend Jill and I were going to go there, and we ended up not being able to mesh our schedules right. Um, but yeah, it's really not that far. Like, surprisingly not far. It's in, yeah, it's in Pigeon Forge, right? Yes. I really like that name. I like Pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> Pigeons are cool. It's actually named after passenger pigeons that used to um, live on, like, around the the river that goes through there. That'd be another good where does it go? Where did pas- passenger p- pigeons go? Yeah, they don't exist anymore. Nope. I think they might have been tasty. They were, and not very uh, hard to shoot. Yeah, pigeons not so not so bright. No, they're sweet and they make cute sounds. And I know you can have pet pigeons and they seem like they're the sweetest little birds. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty. Yeah. So, let's make a hard left turn and talk okay. about talk about a cryptid. Ooh, where, I love cryptids. Where does Bigfoot go? Oh, it's it's kind of related, Appalachian Mountains. There maybe. are so the Bigfoot prop it probably is in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. That's where about oh, okay. a, th- a third of the national sightings are. But there are also a large number of sightings in the Great Lake region and Florida, Alabama, or North Carolina. Really? Mm-hmm. And there are sightings throughout the United States, like Texas. I'm sure there are ones in the all over the Appalachian Mountains. Although things like the uh, the Mothman seem more co- or like not the Jersey Devil, but like weird spindly things seem to be more of an Appalachian phenomenon. Spindly things. <laughs> yeah. So Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, also known as a huge number of names, has been part of indigenous people's stories in the Pacific Northwest for ever. There are a lot of indigenous people's stories of a larger bipedal, so walks on two feet, hair-covered, ape-slash-human-like animal. 
they're said to maybe steal salmon, maybe eat clams, maybe steal children in the night if they the children say their name, stuff like that. And they are not considered a myth in those areas by the indigenous peoples. They are very much considered living real creatures, often living oh, in wow. very remote places. Yeah, so it's it's not the type of thing where it would be understood to be kind of a story. It's more like this is this actually happened or we know about these things. Now, giants are a very common and possibly universal human concept. Uh, they fulfill a need to describe people who are larger than life but are still relatable. So it could be the case that all the a lot of the Bigfoot stories and Sasquatch stories and the popularity thereof fulfill that human need. But there's a lot of other possibilities. There's a massive variety between indigenous communities and even families within these communities in terms of whether Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever they call it, is friendly, shy, ferocious, etc., as well as all sorts of different minute details about the appearance. One thing that is I found interesting. So an interest a lot of indigenous names for the Bigfoot also describe the actions of the Bigfoot. So it was a noun to a verb, such as eating clams would be sasquatching or shaking trees would be sasquatching. And <laughs> I actually had a coworker when I worked in a lab that studied forestry who would use the term sasquatching for crashing through brush and then the woods. And I think he just made it up. But I, I, ma- I make this point that verbing the noun of Sasquatch or Bigfoot or skunk ape, that's not an uncommon one. <laughs> skunk ape! <laughs> seems to be a thing that people are inclined to do. So I just thought that was a little interesting aside of because this is a universal human concept, it speaks to people. There's no known physical evidence of Bigfoot. And I'll get into possible evidence later on. But no bones, no verified fur, no captured individuals. And apparently Jane Goodall is sort of a hopeful believer. She's very interested in the stories of Bigfoot and Sasquatch. And she has she said she in an interview that she'd read all of them. And while she was disappointed that they hadn't found any evidence, she really l- liked the idea. So... It, it appeals to people, kind of regardless of the truth to it or the provability of it. So Bigfoot and Sasquatch were then sort of adopted as a colonizer myth. So right around when westward expansion of white people communities started kicking off, say, the early 1800s, uh, they started seeing Bigfoots and Sasquatches. And it was usually a very hairy, man-like, and very tall critter always considered reclusive so where does bigfoot go probably hiding doesn't want to talk to you the weather bigfoot I mean, is a gr- who can yeah. blame him right i mean that's social distancing it's a great example thank you Sasquatch, <laughs> for setting a good example so whether bigfoot is aggressive or not is different from person to person and place to place uh, one story so most stories at this point are considered hoaxes about bigfoot and skunk apes and whatever sasquatch but most of the people that tell the stories don't think they're fake aren't trying to fool people so it is it's kind of like alien abductions in that a lot of people sincerely believe this but what i've seen with 
some Sasquatch stories is that they're it's group experiences a lot of the time. So oh, really like groups of people see them together? Yeah, so in in Ape Canyon in 1924, which is on Mount St. Helens, a group of miners was attacked, and their interpretation of events was that a group of Sasquatch attacked them. And it's assumed now that they were attacked by local teenagers, but I don't know why a group of men who were at work would say they were attacked by a bunch of missing links instead of just a bunch of teenagers. Right. Unless they were dressed up, which is possible. But, you know, I think we a lot of times assume that our ancestors were very gullible or credulous. And sure, I guess to some extent they were, but no more than we are. And I'm not going to assume that this group of people was stupid and foolish and, you know, wanted to believe. It was not a big group of fox molders on a quest. They, it was... (laughs) There's some guys trying to mine. They were doing their jobs and they got rocks thrown at them. And they think that their interpretation was the Sasquatch did it or a group of them. So I've, I've said the term skunk ape several times, uh, <laughs> which is pretty, it's pretty amusing. It's very similar to Bigfoot or Sasquatch in appearance and behavior and found in Florida, Alabama, and North Carolina, uh, often considered to be particularly stinky. That's the skunk aspect. So it's similar myth or stories or sightings. Sure, maybe it happened just in a different part of the world. Now, guess what Bigfoot has? Big feet? Yes. And (laughs) an FBI file. Really? Yes. I read through the whole thing. FBI files always crack me up because there's so many notes and addendums and stamps and things on the pages. It looks like my kid got to the file <laughs> just scribbled all over it there's just stuff everywhere and there's <laughs> like things uh whited out and tape put over stuff and little p- clippings taped to other pages and scanned it's very they're interesting to read and they're also kind of difficult to read because they're just scribbled all over but this was not that hard to read and so a request was sent from the Bigfoot Information Center and Exhibition in 1976 to examine 15 samples of hair and tissue from the Dallas area of Oregon. The Army Corps of Engineers in 1975 had published a Washington Environment Atlas that included info on possible Sasquatch and Bigfoot sightings. They also indicated in that book that the FBI had already analyzed hair assumed to be Bigfoot hair, but it had not matched any other known animal. So the Bigfoot Information Center and Exhibition was very curious about the veracity of the Army Corps of Engineers' claim. Had the FBI reviewed samples of tissue from Bigfoot before? What were the results? The FBI responded that there had been requests to review tissue samples before and hair, but no record was retained of their requests. So it's possible that they weren't even taken seriously at the time. But... These tissue samples were submitted to the J. Edgar Hoover building in D.C. to be examined. The file also includes clippings from 1975 of the Washington Star News that includes a picture of Bigfoot. Have you seen the video? There is video purportedly of Bigfoot where there's a Bigfoot. I've seen a few different videos that are just like, 
what am I looking at? This is not anything but a blurry, like looks like a looks like someone in a Chewbacca costume. Yeah, that's the that's the video I'm talking about. That was made in 1967, and uh, so it includes a still of that video. And I'll talk a little bit more about that video later. Also includes brief articles about the identification of Bigfoot, local news articles, etc. The hairs were actually examined in 1977 by the FBI, and the the FBI concluded they were from an animal in the deer family. The file even includes pictures of the hair attached to a small piece of skin. So those results were sent to the Academy of Applied Science, as Mr. Byrne of the Bigfoot Institute was out of the country at the time the results were made available. And the Academy of Applied Science sent a letter indicating they received the report. Bigfoot as an FBI file. <laughs> <laughs> so what is Sasquatch? What is Bigfoot? What's a skunk ape? There's some probabilities. Either. Bears with mange. I don't know if you've ever seen a hairless bear or a bear with patches of its hair missing. But it, No, but it sounds horrible and sad. It's very sad. And they look like people with dog faces. Really? And it's not uncommon for bears to rear up on their hind legs to try to reach stuff or to seem intimidating. So it is possible that a lot of these are just weird bears. It could be the case that these are untruths that have not been allowed to get in the way of telling good stories. A good storyteller, as, as a good storyteller once told me, does not allow truth to get in the way of the story. <laughs> and these are very appealing stories. Giants are part of the storytelling culture of just about everybody. So maybe it's just people like the story. Maybe it is some kind of missing link. It's a leftover previously thought extinct hominid. I did a whole episode on where hominids go or went. Uh, and there's a lot of... We're finding new communities of hominids or new interbreeding genetic information of hominids all over the place. All the time. Our understanding of human and ho human-like history is spotty. It's developing in depth. I'm not trying to discount the work of paleontologists and archaeologists because they work hard. They do interesting work. I wanted to be one. It's more that they are limited by time and space. And right. so a group of hominids still existing, even just in the 1800s or even before then, but the story is continuing and it being understood as a thing that existed or possibly still exists. It's not irrational. It could also all be just a big hoax. <laughs> particularly when you get the white colonizers involved and so i am of the opinion that it's either weird bears or some kind of missing link type deal that's my personal opinion do you have a personal opinion i i hope it's a missing link that is really smart and has just decided to stay away from us I hope that there's like this huge secret valley where there's a Sasquatch city. I mean, that would be pretty great. Well, and one, it would be great. One indication people have concerns about that are valid is that we've never found a Bigfoot skeleton. There have never been any hominid skeletons or fossils found in North America. And so it's only ever been Homo sapiens. So 
what does that mean? Well, it could mean that they bury their dead and they do it secretly because that happens. Uh, there, In the Mummies episode, I talked about a community, I think in the Philippines, they hide any mummified bodies that they make because they don't want people messing with them. Mm-hmm. So if it's a secluded, secretive group of something that lives in hostile territory and buries their dead, maybe you're not going to find them. Maybe it's Secret all fake. Sasquatch City. <laughs> Aw, that would be an enjoyable story. So, known hoaxes. There have been some proven hoaxes, like things that are not Bigfoot but were sold as such. <laughs> so let's talk about Ray Wallace. This was my first sort of learning about Bigfoot in a way that wasn't from a cartoon or a Disney Channel movie or something like that. <laughs> so Ray Wallace is the possible originator of the Bigfoot moniker. In 1958, massive footprints appeared overnight on a building site in Northwest California. And the construction crew that was working there wondered if it was a prank or real, but the event was really lashed onto by Sasquatch enthusiasts, so much so that it originated the term Bigfoot for these creatures, this idea, this concept. And they'd always been called Sasquatch or something similar since before then. Now, Ray Wallace died either in 2002 or 2003. And I remember hearing about this on the radio because his family came clean about the whole hoax. He had carved the feet out of wood and then made the footprints in the mud. And he was a well-known prankster. And so it was a true hoax, but a pretty good-natured one. So that's a definite hoax. But it's how we got the term Bigfoot. And then there's the patterson Gimelin Bigfoot film. The film that basically you described, Sarah. Film footage of a Bigfoot. Apparently female. Which, I don't... How would you know that? I, like, exactly. Was he supposed to have a big, like, dong? So you could see it in the video? You can't see anything in that video. Like, how would you know it was a female? Exactly. No idea. <laughs> I just saw it somewhere written and I was like, wow, I don't know how they told that, but hey. <laughs> this was filmed, presumably, in Northern California in 1967. And there's a huge amount of argument about its veracity. Were special effects good enough to allow this hoax to continue? And a lot of it just depends on how badly you want to believe the story. So do yeah. do you want there to be film footage of Bigfoot or no? So... That's a question to ask yourself, I guess. And two, right. two more recent hoaxists, uh, Rick Dyer, he has, he has done multiple Bigfoot hoaxes. In 2008, he and a friend claimed they found a dead Bigfoot while hiking. They had press conferences. They were like, no, this is definitely the case. We definitely found it. And then once they displayed it, it was clearly a Halloween costume that they had dumped roadkill all over. <laughs> oh god and then in 2014 rick dyer came back and claimed to have killed a bigfoot in texas and named it hank he took hank on tour and hank was frozen but it was he eventually confessed in a rambling facebook post that hank was a prop <laughs> well this was the guy that dumped a roadkill all, all over a bigfoot costume so i mean i don't know why anybody would yeah take the i mean second one seriously that's fool me twice at that point 
Yeah, exactly. Fool me once. Okay, let's have a look, Rick. Oh, this is not a Bigfoot. Now you've got a real Bigfoot, Rick? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I totally believe you. And then there's Melba Ketchum. And I don't remember this happening, but this is this is a heck of a hoax. She claimed in 2012 to have analyzed the DNA of a number of samples of Sasquatch tissues and found it to be some kind of human hominid hybrid. And she published her results in a scientific journal. And it turns out that scientific journal was one that she owned. <laughs> and it turns out that there, it's, it's crap. Melba Ketchum was full of, full of nonsense. So Melba. Melba. So that's the story of where Bigfoot slash Sasquatch slash skunk apes go. If they exist, they're reclusive. They don't want to talk to us. If they don't, it's they're in our imaginations and in our hearts and in our media because there have been an awful lot of books and stories and things about Sasquatch. I even gave Sarah one for her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cutest book. It is. It is so funny. Isn't it called I Not Dead Yet or something like that? Yes, I Not Dead. I Not Dead Yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's really cute. Oh, and Harry and the Hendersons. Do you remember that movie? I do. And then it was briefly a television show, but very briefly. I don't even know oh, if they got a... What? Yeah. Why would you put... No. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was... I don't even know if they did a full season. And then there was, uh, there was Bigfoot in a Goofy movie. And I mean, it's been in a lot of different things. I could see mangy bears being the source of a lot of these myths, though. Or stories or hoaxes or whatever. Oh, mangy bears. I've seen plenty of mangy dogs, like dogs with mange that have come into rescues. Mm -hmm. And they always just look so sad. Yeah. Like, just imagining a mangy bear just makes me so sad. Yeah, it's they got to be miserable. And they're always itchy anyway, bears are, because they're always scratching themselves mm -hmm. on trees. So I just can't imagine how itchy a mangy bear would be. I just want to make them sweaters. Right? Like soft ones, alpaca fleece sweaters. Yeah, that's something to do uh, during the social, the self-quarantine, social distancing, new, new normal that we have. Let's make bear sweaters for mangy bears. Let's do it. <laughs> it'd be a good way to see if any bigfoot or sasquatch myths pop up with sasquatch wearing a sweater <laughs> and then we'll know it's mangy bears <laughs> i like the idea of a sasquatch like wearing <laughs> wearing like a pink like a big pink sweater like with snowflakes on it oh i love it sequin snowflakes <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so it catches the light sequins and fake pearls <laughs> maybe we could track down the fe hey. the female sasquatch not to i don't know that gender norms are a thing for sasquatch but if we can track down the female from that 1967 movie i bet she'd wear a sequined pink oh. fluffy snowflake sweater Oh, Squatchy wants to wear pretty, a pretty sweater. Mm -hmm. Squatchy wants to be fabulous. <laughs> I worked with a guy named Will, who was the, one of the strangest people I've ever met. Uh, he was benign strange, but very strange. And we called him the wizard, all of us and our coworkers. 
and he worked with the kid the guy he was a kid he was like 20 uh that came up with the sasquatching for crashing through brush and he talked about how sasquatch would have a family so it would be sasquatch sasquina his wife sam squinch their baby and then scoochie their dog <laughs> yeah, so it's Sasquatch, Sasquina, Sam Squinch, and Scoochie. I love this. It would be a great story, but I... I love this guy. He seems awesome. He he was not the best co-worker for a scientific lab, but as a person, very interesting and enjoyable. He would, okay. he would clean his feet, his bare feet, with the pencils we were using to take field notes. No! So, yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows you take off your socks and you use your socks and then you put your socks in the laundry after you do that to get the little fuzzies out of between your toes before you go to bed. Or you just leave your shoes on in the forest. (laughs) Yeah, like why was he taking his shoes off in the forest? Because he could. I don't know. But he would would pick at his toes with the pencils that we would share to take field notes, so. No, but he would also play play the fiddle for us when we were on work trips and stuff. So he was again not a bad person, just kind of odd. (laughs) That's I like the fiddle playing Sasquatch family naming. That's cool. Yeah, so that's where it goes. You can find us at whereitispodcast at gmail dot com to tell us uh, that we're awesome or that this was interesting or to tell us to cover a particular subject. You can find us on our website that Sarah has been reworking to be so beautiful. I love it. It's really fun to look through. Uh, where does it? Beautiful. Where does it dot com. And we will have a Patreon by the next episode. Dang it. I am. Yay. I am committing to it. So we'll announce that. We're also on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest. And you can find all our links on our website. And I uh, hope you have a good quarantine. Listen to all our episodes. We've got like 54 of them now. Yeah, wash your hands. Yes, please wash your hands.